This morning we're going to be considering the demon-possessed man and our passage is Luke chapter 8 verse 26 through to verse 40. In Luke chapter 8 and verse 22 we're told that the Lord Jesus Christ went into a ship and travelled across the Sea of Galilee. Last week we saw how he took his disciples in what would inevitably become a storm on that journey, so much so that the disciples feared they would drown. Let's remember that most of those disciples were fishermen. Even so, they feared they would drown. As for Jesus, he reproved their lack of faith and stilled the storm. He said to the wind and the seas, peace be still. In so doing, in so doing, he demonstrated that he has authority even over nature. In today's passage, the ship has arrived in the country of the Gadarenes on the east coast of the Sea of Galilee with Jesus on a mission to minister to a demon-possessed man or two men actually, if you read the parallel account in Matthew's Gospel. So there were two men, but we're going to just follow the passage as we have it in Luke's Gospel where we we read of one of those two men. Our passage ends with Jesus returning to the other side of the sea. As such, we can see something of how far the love and the uh, the compassion of God extends to just one or two men, two demon-possessed men who were neither lovely or lovable in this world. Jesus crossed over the Sea of Galilee, he ministered to them and then he went back to the other side. That speaks something about the love and the compassion of God. Also, having already demonstrated his power over nature when he was at sea, Jesus now demonstrates his authority over demons. And that would, inclu- that would include the prince of demons, the devil. First of all, we can consider the reality of demons. Jesus met a man whose body and soul were the dwelling place of demons or evil spirits. So much so that according to Luke chapter 8 and verse 30, he went by the name of Legion. In the days of the Roman Empire, a legion consisted of about 6,000 soldiers. Also, according to Mark chapter 5, And verse 13, another parallel account of what we're looking at today, the demons entered into about 2,000 pigs. 2,000 pigs. Now, if you assume that more than one evil spirit entered into a pig, if there were 2,000 or more pigs, that must mean a lot more evil spirits. Whatever way you look at it, there were a lot of evil spirits in that man. Demon possession is not something that we in the West are particularly aware of these days, except for in the horror films. However, on the strength of this passage and 
many other passages in the word of God, you can be sure that demon possession was a reality in the time of Jesus and there is no reason to think that it is not still a reality today. Perhaps it was more prolific when the incarnate Son of God walked the earth. You can probably imagine that the the demons, they were really going crazy when, when God himself was in the world. But there's no reason to think that there are no demons in the world now, even here on our island. I should imagine that the prince of demons, the devil, he would love it if each one of us here vainly imagined that there were no evil spirits and, better still, what a triumph that would be for the devil if one, if any of us here imagined that the devil didn't exist. That would be something, wouldn't it? I've told you about him before, um, the... The lay Baptist preacher, when I was, when I first became a, a Christian, I attached myself to this elderly man. Uh, he was a neighbour of mine. I found out that he was a preacher and I, all I wanted to do was talk about Jesus. And I found someone who was a preacher to talk to. One meeting with, with him was enough. And I just felt the Holy Spirit, if you like, saying to me, stay away from him. Because in that first conversation, it became apparent that he didn't even believe in the reality of the devil. I Again, I would say that that is something that the devil would love us all to think, that he doesn't exist. But he most certainly does. During my five years of living in India, I heard about various cases of demon possession. And I heard about these things from from other Christians. I've got no reason to have doubted those stories. The presence of demons was clearly evident. I didn't actually see obvious cases of demon possession, but the presence of demons was evident in where I lived. You could feel it. You could smell it. With idols being openly paraded through the streets, worshipped in public places, just like you might read about in your Bible. And you can be sure that behind all of those idols that were being worshipped and paraded through the streets, there were demons receiving adoration. Here on our island, the idolatry is not so evident, but it is nevertheless just as real, and I would say just as rampant, with people worshipping and adoring just about anything other than the one true God. Further afield in the UK, about 200,000 babies are offered as sacrifices to the devil every year in abortion clinics and down the toilet. Therefore, we really do need to be on our guard. As it is written in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. The way to be on your guard is to be clothed 
in the full armour of God as people who belong to the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll look at a description of legion. Look at verse 29 in Luke chapter 8. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for oftentimes it had caught him, and he was kept bound with chains and in fetters, and he broke the bands and was driven of the devil into the wilderness. That's a description of the demon-possessed man. Verse 29 describes someone who, as a consequence of being demon-possessed, and driven by the devil, devil was a wild man who had broken all his restraints. Apart from anything else, that really is a description, a picture of you, if you are not trusting in Jesus. How can that be a description of you, you're wondering? Well, in as much you make it your business to break free, not from chains, but you make, your, make it your business to break free from, as you see it, God's restraints. You don't want to be under the restraint of Almighty God, your maker. Rather like the people in Psalm 2 who say of God and his Christ, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. This is what people do as they wave their puny fists towards heaven. We want nothing to do with God. We're going to cast away all his restraints from us. If you reject God, don't imagine that you are free, however. You're not. You're in bondage to sin and to Satan. To be truly free, you need to be yoked to the Lord Jesus Christ. I say that again, to be free, you need to be yoked or bound to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is true freedom. It really is. Following Jesus, seeking God's enabling grace to do which is that which is pleasing in your heavenly Father's eyes. If that is not a description of you, then you are under the dominion, under the authority of your father, the devil, whom the Bible describes as the God of this world and the lusts of your father, you will do. Also, according to verse 27, Legion was naked and he lived in tombs. Naked and lived in tombs. Tombs are where dead people live. And if you're not trusting in Jesus as your saviour from sin, let me tell you that you may just as well be living in a tomb because you are spiritually dead, dead in trespasses and sins. You exist from day to day as you go about your work or you go about your study, studies or whatever it is you do each day, but you're not really living. How do I know that and how can I stand here and say that to you? Because I've been there, I've got the badge for too many years just existing from day to day but not really living, dead in trespasses and sins. 
In my case, it was till I was in, into my 30s. That's a long time to just be existing. I spent far too many years just existing, but not really living. But the good news is that if you are following Jesus as one of his sheep, yoked to him, bound to him, then you are someone who has been given everlasting life by the incarnate Son of God and you will never, ever perish. That really is good news. As for being naked, if you have not trusted in Jesus as your Saviour, you are naked in the sense that you that what you are wearing is nothing more than filthy rags of self-righteousness. And God sees right through those rags. And he sees into your heart from which proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, idolatries, fornication, thefts, you name it, all manner of sin. Again, the good news is that God provides a change of clothing for his people, for those who are trusting in Jesus. He removes their filthy rags and he clothes them with garments of salvation. And he adorns them with a robe of righteousness. How wonderful that is. I like what Augustus Top Lady wrote in his hymn. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. I to the fountain fly, wash me saviour, or I die. You must come to the cross of Jesus, naked. And look to him to wash you with his blood and to clothe you with his righteousness. Thirdly, Jesus commanded the unclean spirit to come out. In verse 29, we're told that Jesus commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. Let's have a look at that then again. First first words there. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. That is a clear reminder and also a tremendous comfort to the Lord's people that Jesus is stronger than the devil and his demons. The fact that Jesus commands thousands of evil spirits to come out of that man tells you something about the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see that to be the case in Mark chapter 3 and verse 27, where Jesus said, and listen very carefully, Jesus said, no man can, no man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he will first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house. The devil is the strong man. The strong man's house is is the devil's dark domain and that includes this world. 
this wicked world. It's all the part of the devil's dark domain. His goods are people, the people of this world. In fact, they are all who do not belong to Jesus, including some people in here, no doubt. However, there is a man who is stronger and uh, he is stronger than that strong man. He comes into the house of the strong man and he binds the strong man. Who do you think that is? Who is stronger than the strong man? Who could come into the strong man's house, into the devil's dark domain and bind him? It's the one who commands legions of demons to come out of of that wretched man. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He is stronger than the devil. He is the mighty God and he has bound the devil. You can think of the devil as being on a chain. Ever since Christ came into the world, laid down his life on the cross and he rose victoriously from the grave, you can think of the devil as being on a chain. Even though Satan can and does wreak havoc in this world, he can only go so far. Why is that? Because he's on a chain. He will never be able to frustrate God's plan of redemption. He will never be able to pluck born-again Christians out of the hand of Almighty God. You can be sure that when Jesus comes again in judgment and to gather up his elect, all his chosen ones, not one of them will be missing. In the meantime, against the devil's wishes, all who have been given to Jesus will come to him. They will come to him with repentant hearts, crying out to God for mercy, Believing on the Lord Jesus Christ today, tomorrow, till Jesus comes again. They will come to him and Jesus will not cast them out. He will hear their cries and he will save them by his grace. Just as he has saved people in here from their sins. Because he is a gracious God. All who receive Jesus as their saviour from sin, their Lord, their God, their refuge, under whose wings they take refuge, are safe and secure now and forevermore. Dear Christian, the devil will no doubt continue to accuse you before God, make you feel a complete wretch, as he sits on your shoulder, whispering in your ear how useless you are, reminding you of that sin that you committed just not long ago, today, whatever, that thing that you thought or said or did, and the devil will accuse you before God. But remember one thing, it is God who has justified you. So even though the devil accuses you before God, he is accusing you before God who sent his son into the world to lay down his life on a cross for you. 
But for all those who are not trusting in Jesus, the Bible shows just how sinfully twisted and foolish those people really are. For example, there were those including the Jewish leaders who actually accused Jesus of being demon-possessed. Jesus, who commanded evil spirits to leave that man, was was accused by Jewish leaders of having a demon. And casting out demons, not by the power of God, but by the power of the devil. Now that doesn't make sense. It's not as if the devil is going to give anyone the power to cast out devils. But that's what they accused Jesus of. Even the demons who have a place reserved for them in hellfire know better. They know that Jesus is the all-powerful Son of God and they acknowledge him to be so. We can see that in verse 28. Where it says, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God most high? I beseech thee, torment me not. This is the evil spirits. They've taken over the body and soul of that poor, wretched man. And Jesus is addressed as the Son of God most high. So the demons, they knew who Jesus was. They knew that he is the Son of God. Also when Jesus asked his disciples, who do they think he is? The Apostle Peter said, thou art art the Christ, the Son of the living God. What about you? The demons know that Jesus is the Son of God. Peter made that confession of faith, thou art the the Christ, the son of the living God. But what about each one of you in here? Who do you say that Jesus is? Do you believe that Jesus, the, the, the one who cast out a vast number of evil spirits from that demoniac in the country of the Gadarenes is the son of God? Do you believe that about Jesus? If you do, then with a broken and contrite heart, you simply must receive him as your saviour from sin. You can't do anything else. I've already referred to existing and not really living until I was in my 30s. But I can tell you now that when the day did arrive, when I acknowledged, well, yeah, there really is a God. I couldn't stop there. I couldn't then just get on with whatever I was doing. And nor can you. And if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you cannot do nothing. You have to come before God's throne of grace. You have to ask God for mercy and receive his Son, Jesus, as your Saviour from sin. Believing that the incarnate Son of God The man who is God was lifted up to die on a cross, bearing away your sins. Having lived a sinless, a life of sinless perfection on your behalf. Believe these things and be saved. And live. Don't just exist, but live. 
You will be someone who lives. I can't tell you to live. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can know that you are not existing, but you are living. You really are. The response of the Gadarenes is our next consideration. In verse 32, let's have a look at that. There were there, there was there a herd of many swine feeding on the mountain and they besought him that he would suffer them to enter them and he suffered them. So in that verse we're told that the demons sought permission from the Lord Jesus Christ to enter into a herd of pigs and he permitted them to do so. When the demons had entered into those pigs, they ran into the sea, the pigs ran into the sea and they drowned. I don't suppose the demons were banking on that happening. Then the herdsmen fled in order to report what had happened. They went into the town to report what had happened. Consequently, a multitude of people came out to see for themselves. We'll finish by considering the response of that multitude when they found the man out of whom the devils were departed sitting at the feet of Jesus and clothed and in his right mind. What do you think the response of the multitude would be? They would have all known that uh, demoniac or two of them living in caves, breaking free from their chains. Terrifying like wild animals. So to hear a report that the demoniac was sitting at the feet of Jesus, wasn't naked anymore, he had clothes on, and sensible, well, let's have a look and see what happened. According to verse 35, they were afraid. That's the first thing to read. They were, well, it's at the very end of the verse, but they were afraid. Going back to when Jesus was on the ship with his disciples and he rebuked the wind and the seas, they too were afraid. The disciples were afraid and they said, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? Those disciples stayed with Jesus but the Gadarenes besought Jesus to depart from them. So fear affected the Gadarenes very differently to how it affected the disciples when they were on the ship. Although they did not necessarily display any obvious signs of being subject to demons, that multitude nevertheless showed themselves to be the children of the devil. I'm not saying that they are all possessed like the man in our passage, but that multitude may just as well have been possessed by the devil because they wanted Jesus to depart. Why would they want that? Why would anyone want Jesus to depart from them? It doesn't make sense. When it comes down to it, the only difference between the multitude and the man who had been possessed by demons, was that the multitude had an outward respectability. They weren't breaking chains and and shouting and being terrifying. 
They were what you might call normal, respectable people. But they were no different. No different at all. Having seen the radical transformation in that man who had previously been like a wild animal, that multitude must have been having thoughts about Jesus along the lines of, what manner of man is this that even the evil spirits obey him? That much they could have worked out for themselves, that Jesus had control over evil spirits, that he was stronger. Even so, instead of falling prostrate before Jesus and worshipping him and adoring him and praising him for what he had done, they wanted nothing to do with him. That reaction shows the attitude of the majority of people that make up the population of this world. They want nothing to do with Jesus. He came unto his own, the Jews, like those Gadarenes. They were probably Jewish. Don't be put off by the fact that there were pigs there. That was a Jewish region. Jesus came unto his own, and his own received him not. Jesus is light. What does the light do? It reveals the holiness of God, but it also exposes our sin. Makes us very uncomfortable. And so the Bible tells us, light is coming to the world, but the darkness... Uh, But the world loves the darkness rather than the light because its deeds are evil. That's a description of this world. People love the darkness rather than the light. Last of all, we'll consider verses 38 through to 39. Now the man out of whom the devils were departed besought him that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, Return to thine own house and show how great things God have done unto thee. And he went his way and published throughout the whole city how great things Jesus had done unto him. In contrast to the multitude that wanted Jesus to depart from them, what did that man do who who had all the evil spirits cast out of him? He wanted to be with Jesus. That makes a lot more sense. He'd come to his senses. His desires, his faculties had changed. According to verse 35, he was sitting at the feet of Jesus. Surely that's how it is, or it ought to be, with born-again Christians. If you're Christian in here, you are, in a sense, or you should be, sitting at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus instructed the man to go back to his home and to testify of the great things God had done to him. Whereupon, what did he do? He went everywhere telling people about the great things Jesus had done for him. Go and tell it, tell your family the good things God has done, the great things God has done. And so he tells everybody, not just his family, everyone, 
the great things that Jesus has done. Again, that ought to be the Christian. Telling people, and not just your family, telling people about the great things that Jesus, the Son of God, has done for you as a testimony to them. Every one of you fits into one of two camps. I can break it down to just two camps. Maybe you're like the multitude in our passage and like the people in the prophet Isaiah's time. They were the same. Isaiah, he was in the world over 700 years before Jesus came into the world. And this is what we read in the prophecy of Isaiah. Which say to the seers, see not. This is the people. They say to the seers, see not. And to the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things. Speak unto us smooth things. Prophesy deceits, lies. Tell us some lies. We don't want the truth. Get you out of the way. Turn aside out of the path. Cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. Who's the Holy One of Israel? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Even 700 years before Jesus came into the world, people were saying to the prophets, we do not want to hear about Jesus. Just tell us a bunch of lies. Tell us things that will make us feel all nice and fuzzy about ourselves. Don't talk to us about sin. It's no different now, is it? No different at all. Then again, if by the grace of God you are on in the other camp, you're not one of those people, that means you have been found by Jesus. He has graciously saved you from your sins. You now sit at his feet, listening to him when you read the scriptures. You're clothed in his righteousness and your mind is fixed upon Jesus. You now have a testimony of your of what your great God and Saviour has done for you. In that he has lived a sinless life on your behalf. He has laid down his life as a sacrifice for your sins. And now he is in heaven above as your great heavenly high priest. You've got a lot to tell people about. And may each one of us who are in that camp, having been visited by Jesus and been touched by his healing hand, be busy with um, gratitude and thanksgiving in our hearts, telling people of the love of God for unlovely and of unlovable people. Amen.